Fun with Failure is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Fun with Failure, where we laugh with and at you about your flaws, fears, and failures. I'm your host, Dr. Alexis Carrero. Let's have some fun. Today, our guest is Maggie Williams. Maggie is the founder and CEO of Skipper, a tech-driven pet care company. She graduated from UNC Chapel Hill in 2010. Maggie is on the board of the Friends of Fourth Ward and volunteers for Project Scientist, the leading summer STEM academy for girls. She's the recipient of Charlotte Agenda's 30 Under 30 and Charlotte Business Journal's 40 Under 40 award. Avid travelers, Maggie and her husband, Sebastian, backpacked around the world for nine months for their honeymoon and have two dogs, Stinson and Kumbu. Hi, Maggie. Thanks for being here today. Welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. So I'm happy that you're here for a few reasons. So this podcast isn't my full-time job. Shocker. I'm actually a pitch presentation and public speaking coach. And I've been at a number of entrepreneurial and pitch events in Charlotte that you have not attended. But the people on stage and the judges were talking about you. They were talking about you as the model of what a CEO of a startup should do and be like. I've heard numerous people mention your energy, your commitment, your drive, and your laser focus on finding solutions to making your business work. So I'm very happy to be able to pick your brain about that today. And the second reason I'm happy that you're here is that I did see you speak recently and you were so open and honest about the role that failure has played in your life and how it led you to where you are today. Uh, And that's when I knew I had to have you on the show. And specifically, you mentioned your theory on the two different types of fears. And I really want to get into that because I totally agree with you. And I think that listeners will really appreciate the distinction that you make between those two types of fears. Uh, But before we begin, I want to talk a little bit about Skipper. So walk me through the year or two before you started Skipper. Where were you? What were you doing? And how did Skipper come to be? Yeah. So my husband and I lived in New York before we moved to Charlotte. And when we were in New York, we started a a little pet care company on the side. We didn't um, have enough room and we were out of the house um, quite often because we traveled for work. So we couldn't have a dog of our own. And that's, you know, when we were like, well, it'd be cool if we could watch other people's dogs. And so we started to really understand um, how, you know, the component, the the trust aspect of pet care was so paramount to just being able to deliver a high quality service to, to pet parents. And, you know, we, we also recognized that like that personal, the, the, personal touch was what made all the difference. And um, it kind of stuck with us. We really enjoyed kind of doing that. And then when we moved to Charlotte and started working for startups and got two dogs of our own, um, and then we're looking for similar services when we were kind of out of the house or just needed last minute care for them and couldn't find it, we were like, this is a head scratcher, right? Like there's, you know, over 50% of U.S. households have a dog. And, um, you know, it's people are out of the home more. Um, disposable incomes on the rise, pets are family in a way that they've Absolutely. never been. Um, and and yet the the level of um, accountability, convenience, and trust when it comes to in-home pet care services have um have really not have really not accelerated the same way. And um that's that's when we just had this idea. I had this idea that I couldn't shake, that there needed to be something better. And at the time I was working for a startup 
that um, was based in the Bay, and I ran the Charlotte office, eventually ran the Southeast. And then um, after two years and $20 million that were raised, um, they went bankrupt. And I got laid off. And that was my first, well, my, well, I'd say one of my, at the time, felt like the biggest failure of my life um, was to just be involuntarily kicked taken away, you know, having my my employment, my my sense of professional identity taken. And it's funny because that would later I would later look back on that and and do now as the stage to which I was able to do something that has been my most proud accomplishment to date. And it's funny how that how that happens, right? It's it's such a context thing when you yeah, think about the absolutely. failings and the things that didn't work out the way you wanted them to. And it to me it's less about that and it's more about what you do with it and for and and it's become for me like the opportunity that comes from being pushed to make a change um to to realize if something's not working to do something different um and i think it's where like our, my my most creative innovative kind of self comes into play so after um, so after Moveloot failed and I left it, I, I was a, I would left that role. I said, you know what? Like I want to start this company. I want to start this idea. I was the first dog walker. Um, the company at that time I call, it was called the Waggle Company, and I you know I remember <laughs> this one of our core values now is uh, to ride the scooter in the rain, and it's based on the early days of the Waggle Company when I was the only dog walker and my husband and I shared a car. Um, and then we had the scooter. And so when Sebastian was taking the car, I had the scooter and I would go around to homes to do visits. And I remember it would rain and I would be in this scooter and I'd think to myself, like, what am I doing? Because I'd just be getting drenched and like pelleted um, with like with, with rain I was, as I was driving around. And I'm like, it, it was like those moments where when I look back on it and it was just that's the kind of adversity and challenge that when you feel just like just like you just don't know what's going on and you don't know where where it's going to lead you to um but to keep going and to, and to just fight for what you know who you are and what you believe in and what you think is going to make a difference and then you know along the way when the things that that you think work don't like learn from that and i and i feel like the whole journey from starting the waggle company now skipper has been a has been about that it's been about doing things until they don't work and then understanding why they don't work and then taking that next step and it's just always about like that's how we go forward is just to keep keep failing almost like if if you're not failing then you're not you're not actually going anywhere and that's kind of been that's become the mantra um and i and the team has embraced that as well and i and i love every day getting to be a part of an enterprise that is okay and embraces um the, the all the times and the things that we do that don't work out and then when we do something different and it does and you can just kind of play on that story it becomes just such a it becomes a narrative that that makes sense and is um you know, made us really fearless when it comes to doing new things and and staying true to the mission and um, being a company that's based on trust. Yeah. So I want to unpack so much of what you just said, right? Because the, the trust issue is absolutely paramount. I have a dog myself. It is so scary to think because it for, for me, it's like trust and fear. And it's so scary to think I'm going to turn over my house. I'm going to give a dog walker the keys to my house and let them take 
my fur baby for how, somewhere, anywhere. I don't know where they are. So yeah, trust is absolutely important. And then also what I think or, or what I imagine part of what fuels you is the fact that you understood the value of this company. And I, and I don't mean in terms of the financial value, but you understood the emotional value and the need for this company because it's something that it's a service you wanted yourself. And so then all of a sudden it doesn't become, oh, I'm going to grow this company and I'm going to make a bunch of money and it's going to be, we're going to be super successful, but it becomes, this is a service that I know people need. This is a service I know people want. And it's not just the dog walking, but it's that trust Mm -hmm. that they're going to trust us with their dogs, right? And their homes. And we're going to be able to make their lives better, right? They're going to be able to stay late at that meeting and impress their boss and get that promotion because they know that their dog is taken care of. So I imagine that's part of what fuels you because if you really believe in what it is you're doing, then it makes a lot a lot easier to then work really, really hard at it because you're adding value to so many people's lives. Absolutely. Um, we, I have such deep conviction for what we're doing and how we're doing it. Um, and to know kind of what this company is built on, which is we do the right thing all the time. And it just, it makes it so easy on a day-to-day basis to make hard decisions because we always go back to those like founding principles. Um, it's based on trust, right? Like, is this something that is going to continue to build the trust of our clients? And it's how we made the decision to, um, employ our dog walkers versus, Um, bring them on as contractors. So they are W-2 employees of the company, which allows us to really train and manage and empower them in a way that you can't with contractors. And that was an easy decision because it really aligned with our core values. It was like, well, what's going to deliver more trust to the client? Um, It's why we, it's why my husband and I, when we were sitting in the kitchen in 2000, I guess early 2017, and we were like, we're not going to be able to scale this company unless we have the technology in-house that we can really build and iterate according to like the operational, you know, short and long-term visions that we had. And we tried a lot of out-of-box software and, and it, we tied together APIs and it just, it wasn't working. It was breaking. And we knew we like, you know, we just have to have our own. And the, when we, when we were sitting there and we looked at each other and we said, at that point we were bootstrapped. So we had, we didn't have external funding. Um, we cashed in all of our personal savings to go we're not tech people either. We're not, I'm, I don't have a tech background. We cashed in all of our personal savings um, and went and hired Level, which is a software development company based in Charlotte to help build out um, the the MVP of our tech. And I remember thinking like, are we going to do this? Like, this is like the first, this was like the the real moment of like, are we all in in this? And and we just- Yeah, that's a big, that's a big deal. Level- Level is a big deal here in Charlotte. Yeah. They don't they don't work with just like itty bitty baby clients and itty <laughs> yeah. bitty baby projects. Yeah, no, and they were great. It was like you know again, it was like the best. Thing. And it was because we really dug in, right? And it, and we were failing, like we were failing because we weren't able to continue to grow the business at that point because we were trying. We were we had so many band aid approaches to what we were doing to kind of accommodate the inefficiencies in the tech at the time. And in my mind, we were just, you could tell, it was that the business was just, we, we were slower. We couldn't couldn't get it where we wanted to be because we were focusing too much on how to um, band-aid the tech that we had. And from those failings, it was like, we looked at you, we really dug in and we said, we need to change our strategy. We are convicted of what we're doing. We believe in this. Like, and it made, it, it made the risk, like it, it, it made the risk worth taking, the risk of like we could lose everything. And then 
um, you know, and then even continuing on, we we ended up getting an SBA loan before we got um, equity, before we raised on, on an equity round. And that SBA loan was tied to our house. So after we, we cashed all of our personal savings to build up the tech, we got um, an SBA loan from the bank for $150,000 and it was tied to our house. And there was another conversation of like, if this doesn't work, right, we, we're, we're going to lose our house. And is that okay? Can we figure that out? And we, you know, ultimately like came back down to like just knowing that like what we felt like we were bringing to the marketplace, something that people wanted and needed. And um, also with an understanding that things don't work out. And if they don't, are we confident in our abilities to make whatever situation we find ourselves in work? And that is something that has always driven me that like no matter the worst case scenario is never that bad, right? Like short of death, anything else, like we can figure out how to thrive. And um, and I think that's just kind of liberating to just believe that wholeheartedly um, that, that we'll be able to figure it out. Um, so yeah. So where does that come from for you? You, you said you've just kind of always been that way. Where does where does that drive? Where does that sort of sense of confidence that you know what I'm going to be? I'm gonna, I'm just going to figure it out no matter what it is. Where does that come from? I am very grateful. Well, I would say I'm 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 very grateful to have been um, very well parented as a as a kid. Um, I, shout out to mom and dad. Shout out to mom and dad. Um, I just came from a really supportive household that you know, always really, really helped me um, be a self-aware human being to really make, help me understand what I was good at. And then the things that I wasn't good at, um, how to find ways to, to find other people to compliment those things, <laughs> um, but be okay with that. Like be okay with not being good at everything, um, but that enjoying the things that you were good at and, and finding what made me feel fulfilled, even if it wasn't the trajectory that anybody else had taken, and that letting me take letting me take risks, controlled risks with my life, um, knowing that like I had the tool set to be able to to like stand on my own if it didn't, you know, if, if it didn't work out. And I had, so I would say the support um, of, of growing up in, a, in an environment that, you know, gave me that kind of platform to feel confidence and to fail, um, knowing that, that um, I was going to be okay made a big difference. Yeah, that's huge. When you have that foundation, that support, you know, shout out to all the mom and dads who let their kids figure out who they are. Yeah. And part of what what that process entails is failing <laughs> yeah. and taking risks and not always being successful, but just keep trying. Yeah. So I want, I want to go back to something that you said earlier. You said regarding Skipper, we always do the right thing all the time. Mm-hmm. Can you give me an example of how that decision has come into play? Like when were you ever faced with a decision and it was kind of like, okay, well, we could take the easy way or we could make more money or we could do this or know what, you know what, we're going to do it this way because this is the right thing to do. Yeah, sure. So, um, so we have a couple, we have a couple, we work very closely with apartments um, and we also work very closely with um, service providers that work with apartments. And we had this opportunity to do this really big partnership with one of those service providers. And they, um, we, you know, we were kind of working out how we were going to be able to like, uh, 
integrate into their model. And they were like, well, in, in order for us to make the most money, in order for this to make the most sense for us on a margin standpoint, we need to do group walks where they were going to, um, you know, take, you take dogs from different households and walk them together. And that is something based on our research and how, um, you know, we know what the kind of quality of service we want to deliver. We don't do that. We don't do group walks. Um, so we don't take dogs from different households and put them together. There's a lot of risk there if you have dogs who are leash aggressive um, or if they haven't been um, temperament tested and you don't know how they're going to react with other dogs in those environments. It could end up being a bad situation for the pets. And so we um, ultimately did not move forward with that big partnership because we were not willing to um, offer a service that we didn't really stand by, that we didn't feel was aligned with the kind of quality and consistency that um, that our clients have known us for. All right. So I want to ask a little bit about Sebastian, right? Because yeah. you, it, I, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, so it was your idea for the for Skipper and originally the Wagle company, but Skipper. But so you and Sebastian, your husband, co-founded Skipper together but he's no longer at the company. So why, if you don't mind my asking, why is he no longer there? And how did you navigate that transition? Yeah. So, so I started the company in February of 2016. Obviously it was the brainchild of, you know, lots of late nights, Seb and I talking about, you know, what, you know, what we could bring to the marketplace and how it would work. Um, so at that time I did not, I was laid off. And Sebastian had a job. So what we decided to do is I was going to start the company and run the company. And about four months in, I really, like all of my, I realized that I was drowning in requests, like client requests, and couldn't do it just myself. And so was figuring out ways that we were going to hire somebody or bring somebody else in. And Sebastian has a very complimentary skill set to mine. He's he's very operational driven. He, he At that point, he was in a, um, a COO role. And in that role had kind of, you know, he was ready to move on from that role. And it just, it made sense. Like we have always wanted to work together in a professional endeavor. He's my best friend. When we took our, well, you had mentioned our around the world trip we took after we got married. Yeah. Just really re-emphasized for me that like we are so on the same page with how we spend our two most important resources, which is our time and our money. And it was just like, I, you know, felt like, and still feel like it is my, one of my biggest personal accomplishments that I was able to work with my husband through this and that he was able to get it to a point where we were able to transition him out and bring someone someone else in to fill the role that we needed. So yeah, so he so he joined the company 4 months after I started it and then recently transitioned. And we we always knew it was it was a very it was a very natural transition. I'll talk a little bit about what it's like to work with your spouse because I think it's an interesting kind of yeah, situation. Yeah, absolutely. Um I don't think it's for everybody. It lends itself to creating conflict and tension if there's a couple things that aren't there. One, I would say just really strong communication. Absolutely. Um, a very steady foundation of mutual respect. And then the other thing I'd say would be the ability to compartmentalize. I mean, wearing like so many different hats in a relationship that's like that intimate, both personally and professionally, like we had to learn to just become very detached depending on what hat we were wearing at the time um, to make it work. And we became really good at that. Like we could have a conversation about the business and we could disagree with uh, disagree with each other respectfully. We could, you know, kind of may, potentially even leave that unresolved and then go home and like make dinner as husband and wife and have that and like be able to, to like re-engage 
in that different way. And I think having both partners have that buy-in, it's really hard, right? And it's really hard when it's, when it's, you know, your, your personal finances are on the line. Um, yeah, your house is on the line. Your house, our house is on the line. And so I give him all the credit, um, give us all the credit like to, to that we were able to, to do, not only do it, but do it successfully and enjoy it. He came to Austin with me for the Techstars program that we did last year. And we had the coolest experience getting to travel and, and build this company from nothing, nothing to what it is today where we, we're you know about to close a two and a half million dollar round. Um, we have 80 employees across three markets. We've done over 70,000 visits. And it's all and it's because of of where we started and because of of how in how, how involved he was in in getting us to where we are and and so the transition w- which we made a couple months ago was it was bittersweet but it was the right thing for the company and we've always been we've always been very aligned to doing what was best for the company and we needed a role that had a specific skill set to take the company forward and Sebastian you know was really kind of a jack of all trades. He did so much for the company and had his hands in so many things that as we started to grow um, and got to the point where we needed special, like a specialized skill set and and roles, he was able to really hand that off. And um, yeah, I could not be more grateful for having him in my life and and absolutely believe that we would not be here um, where we are today had it not been for for him and and everything he did. That's great. My my romantic partner and I started a blockchain company, and so we we do the same thing. It's work, 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 and then it's like some side personal joke, and we'll be like laughing, and then we just go back straight yeah. to work. And it's, it's funny, so right? you just it could like you switch back and forth so yeah easily, uh, and yeah, and then sometimes it's you know one person wants to do fun, one person wants to talk work, and then you have yeah. to negotiate you have to that, negotiate but, that yeah yeah mm-hmm. it is it's, it's 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 so wild and I don't there I don't think I could do it with anyone other than him yeah you know I mean I've had plenty of exes where I'm like oh hell oh. No. <laughs> but yeah so I'm 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 really thrilled that you guys were able to negotiate yeah. that transition that's mm-hmm. so important and also. I think people will probably get a sense of your relationship with Sebastian if they watch the video. <laughs> because, y'all, yeah. if you are single and lonely, do not watch this video. <laughs> and even if you think you have a good relationship, you might want to like check it because it's super cute. Like you, ju- I could just tell that you guys were just having a blast. Yeah. So it's nice to be able to have that experience mm-hmm. in life and in business with your partner. Yeah. It's so mm-hmm. uh, special. Mm-hmm. So you just mentioned Techstars, and that's an accelerator program located in Austin, Texas. So I spent 10 years in Austin. I did my master's and PhD at UT Austin. When you and Haley and Dina came back, I saw you speak about it. And that was also a huge commitment because you and Sebastian, you moved, right? For how, how long? And you had to go to you had to move to Austin for several months. Yeah, three three months we were there. I was there for about nine months because I stayed I stayed in Texas to launch our Austin and Dallas markets. Um, but Seb and I were there together. Yeah, we left we left Charlotte and left the team to move to Austin to participate in the accelerator program. Yeah. Yeah, I mean you're all in on this sucker. Yeah. <laughs> so. And having spent 10 years in Austin, and I was there from 2001 to 2011, and seeing Austin grow and seeing what Austin was able to accomplish and seeing the tech scene and the entrepreneurial scene there, Charlotte is very different from Austin. So what do you think in, you know, not necessarily in a good or bad way, just it's different, right? Every city is different. What do you think are some things that Charlotte could do that maybe Austin are already doing? 
I think it's more timing. I think that Austin um, benefited from um, Dell in the 80s and all of the Dellionaires that came out of it and mm-hmm. supported, really created Austin as a tech hub. I think that what we're seeing is the emergence of a startup community that is 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 going to have is having some major exits which will continue to bring more capital to the city it'll it'll bring more um successful entrepreneurs who are then able to reinvest i mean you you know deal cloud uh, rob cummings who's the founder of of deal cloud um is on our board um map anything john stewart just exited it there's a lot of things happening and i think that we are in a really unique place because the startup scene is is so is still relatively relatively small, but it's so collaborative and it's so intimate. And I feel like I know a, a lot. A lot of the the players in in Charlotte's entrepreneurial scene, specifically startup, um, and they are some of the most grounded, kind, and generous and smart people that I've ever met. And if these, if we, if these are the people who are creating the culture that will persist when we become a bigger community, then Charlotte will be unparalleled in in what it has to offer to those who are looking to to really jump in and start their own thing and to find the resources where they don't have to reinvent the wheel and can get connected with the right people and mentors and thought leadership, you know, is one of the things that keeps me going. You know, I think about that, like being a CEO, being a founder is very lonely. Um, you you live on this island where you, you know, and you have to know that like, that it, it all comes back to you, right? There's nobody else to look to when things, when things go to shit, like it's, it's, it's on you. You have to take responsibility for that. And that can be, it's a really lonely place. And to have other people who, who get that and are, are there to just, to, to help you through it, but to, to just like be a sounding board and, um, and help kind of connect resources in a, in an already small and intimate environment, it's invaluable. And I cannot, I cannot, overemphasize how grateful I am for the community of people that run, you know, that run companies in Charlotte and and knowing them and getting to do this alongside of them has been one of the greatest privileges of my life. That's great. Yeah. It's it's nice to actually see a city starting in their startup culture. You know, Austin sort of got there and it was, you know, well underway, but there is something really exciting about being like on the ground floor of it and seeing it start and then progress mm-hmm. and then being able to watch it. And Charlotte is, Charlotte's interesting because it's it's a small city. Like everyone kind of knows each other, which mm-hmm. can, you know, for, for better or worse, for good or bad. But, you know, yeah, when you make those connections and you make those partnerships, then you're like, then you have that foundation to help support you on on the journey. Mm-hmm. We had Sam Smith on a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. Haley is coming on next week. So yeah, it's it's exciting for me also to see how Charlotte is supporting female entrepreneurs here mm-hmm. because I think that is really really important. As you mentioned earlier, Skipper wasn't the original name of the business; it was the Waggle Company. So why did you change the name? Yeah, so we um, so we started as the Waggle Company. Um, we had that trademarked. So go us. Um, <laughs> we we went to TechStars, and and a big part of TechStars was really understanding what your what your idea, your brand identity is, and what is the value prop that you're bringing to the masses. And 
you know, we kind of deconstructed that and we always knew it, you know, we found the words to really understand and describe what we, what we were doing. And it was, um, it was that selling trust component, right? That's the, the pillar. But then on top of that, it was also this, this sense of adventure, right? So trust and adventure. And that's really what the skipper experience delivers. And when we were looking to rebrand to really embody that, we wanted to find a word that could do both. A word that both kind of harkened back to maybe more nostalgic days that had like an old school pet connection, which Skipper does. And then also really aligned itself with what it feels like to be the captain of your own adventure. And that's how we came up with Skipper. On the back end, we go, you know, we Google ad or we Google word tested it where we, you know, put a bunch of words out there with the same kind of messaging underneath and we saw what people would gravitate toward and Skipper was very high on the list. So we we did a lot of user testing to understand, you know, how people reacted to it. But ultimately, like it, it, I, you know, I think what it did was allowed us to really take a step forward in how we brand identify ourselves and also how we position ourselves in the marketplace as the trusted pet care service for busy people who love pets. And, you know, is it was it scary? Yes, but we decided it was necessary. So there was no other choice. Mm-hmm. So we were going to figure out how to do it. And then um, ultimately we wanted to figure out how to do it well. But once we kind of got on that on that trajectory of we need to rebrand, um, we just, you know, put the put the um, events in motion to make it happen. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. Because I, I, I remember following along Waggle when it first started out. And then when I heard about Skipper, I was like, what are they doing? Why, why you know, like why, why? Why? <laughs> I'll tell you. So that makes, I'll tell that you makes another thing. Sense. I'll tell you another thing that was funny. So we always we started in in Charlotte as the Wag company. Wag came into Charlotte a little bit later, but Wag as a company had existed. Oh, existed before. And it was funny because we were like, oh, is there going to be like problems with the with the branding being so similar? And I, I wasn't super nervous about it because we did have a trademark. So the Wag company was differentiated, and then we had the rights to it. And we were also in Charlotte first. So, you know, we had that too. But I remember one day we get, I remember one day we get a call um, from a client who was very upset because we had missed her appointment. And if you know how our, like our backend system works, it is impossible for us to miss an appointment because we see all the appointments in our backend routing and logistics tool. And we're able to see when the team member has arrived and when they've completed it. And so it, we don't miss appointments. Like we are, we see in real time, um, what visits, the status of each visit. Um, and, and so when, when the customer called in, we were like, Okay, let's let's to kind of dig into this, and and as we were kind of digging and trying to find her visit, mm-hmm. we realized Uh-oh. it didn't exist. Her visit wasn't there. Yeah, and and we were like, can you send us a screenshot of like the the thing you took? She she sent us a screenshot of the WAG app, and Uh-oh. they had, they had yep. missed her appointment, and she she thought it was us. She she thought that she had been a client of ours, which I think it that was also one of the moments. Like, okay, so that's also kind of a um, you know, that was like a you know what we're really gonna. We're, we're, we're going to be able to really um, take on a new ownership of our identity um, and, and then take away any confusion that could exist right. in the marketplace because yep. of other services that had similar names. Yeah, so and you can't so just sad. sort of like stomp around and be like, well, we were here first. Yeah. You guys need to – Right. Know, it's like, no, we're going to do it. Yeah, yeah. So it worked out. Yeah, and the other thing that I wanted to ask you about was because there are, you know, other pet care services and dog walking services like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been some controversy around other – dog walking services. And I want to stress that that has nothing to do with Skipper, just FYI. So here's what I've seen or read in the news, right? One company was sued for a dog getting killed in a hit and run. 
Another couple found out their dog walk found their dog walker napping in their house. And I even heard that there was one dog walker using the client's house to shoot porn. So have you heard about, I mean, have you heard about these stories? Yeah, I have. And, you know, fundamentally it comes back to, and this is where like, and I'll I will I will be like the biggest advocate and preacher for this because, you know, it goes back to trust. And what are yeah. you doing as a company Absolutely. to make yourself worthy of the trust that you seek? And what we've done to, to differentiate ourselves from service providers that, that that has happened to is how do you really align yourself to be able to scale a very personalized, very quality controlled service? And the way we've done that is three different ways. We employ our dog walkers, our team members, so they are managed, they're trained, they're empowered. We give them the standards and then enforce those standards. Um, we also bring them into a community and we care very deeply about them. So we give them a living wage. Um, we pay them fairly. And then in addition to that, you know, just having the tech that delivers that accountability, right? So for us, we make it really easy to, to have um, the transparency that we need, both for us and for the client, to know that we've delivered the service we said we were going to deliver. Um, and we do that through our GPS trackings that's tracked to the team members' phones. We do that through the geofencing, where you can't scan into a visit until you're in the home itself. You know, all of the quality control measures that not just enforce accountability, but also make it easier for our team members to do their job well. The ability to succeed through how we do the training around um, pet care and also the standards um, of, of the standards that we've set for how we deliver our service, it's just, it's paramount. It is how, by bringing everything in-house, by having that kind of control and, and streamlining the, the, the operations to make it as easy as possible for our team members to succeed has given us the platform to be able to just continually surprise and delight our clients. And that's what we hope to continue to do. And that's really the assumption we're making that like we, that we can scale and we can be differentiated and we can win the market because of our focus on, on quality control at scale. And, um, unfortunately a lot of other providers aren't doing that. Well, and it, it's exactly where I was going with the question and raising that issue in the first place, right? Like as the CEO, it falls on you, right? And so it, it also goes back to what you said about being a CEO is lonely, right? Mm -hmm. Because it all falls back on you. So what you're talking about there is really mitigating any failure that might happen before it happens. And it's so obvious that you know, how seriously that you take that and how Skipper takes that. Well, yeah, because they're big failures, right? Like it's serious. Yeah, I mean, not every, like when we, <laughs> when I was reading about these, you know, and thinking like, oh, like a dog passed away. Like yeah. not everything is fun with failure, right? Yeah. Maybe shooting porn at someone's house that maybe they were probably having fun with failure, right? But <laughs> the the dog that isn't there yeah. anymore, that's a really big deal. That's a, that's a family it's member Absolutely. that is deceased. So yeah, it, these, it, in that situation, it is a life or death situation. And as the CEO, that has to be really scary to think about. Um, it, it's a big responsibility, yeah. but it also feels like it, it's, it's not, scary because I know we're doing the right thing, right? And I and I know that that is who we are. And so it feels it feels like we have we have the knowledge to do better than than what we see around us. And I, it feels like it's our obligation to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um all right, so I'm going to go ahead and kick it over to our sponsors, but when we get back, I want to dive into the two types of fears. 
And I want to learn a little bit more about what role failure has played in getting you to where you are today. Stay tuned. Soreness and pain isn't always the result of activity. This is a 60-second wellness tip powered by Ortho Carolina. Prolonged sitting in a car or at your job aggravates muscles and joints and can cause pain. A standing desk can help. The key to alleviating the discomfort that sitting can cause is changing positions more frequently during the day. Alternating between sitting and standing at your desk, in addition to taking walk breaks and stretching, can work to loosen those tight muscles and joints. The perfect standing desk should be high enough so your computer keyboard is at elbow level and your monitor at face level to avoid neck strain. Before you start standing at your desk, take into consideration any knee or foot injuries and wear flat, comfortable shoes. This has been your 60-second wellness tip powered by Ortho Carolina, official team physicians of the Carolina Panthers and proud sponsor of the Queen City Podcast Network. For more tips or to make an appointment, visit orthocarolina.com. So what's your definition of failure? Not trying. Tell me more. Giving up too early. There's a lot of different kinds of failure. There's like micro failures and then there's macro failures. And I think of macro failures as like the big stuff, Um, death, the company going bankrupt, um, losing somebody that you love. Micro failures are a daily occurrence, you know, when things don't work out the way you think and then you have to reassess, change your strategy, dig in, um, move on. When when in, when I'm experiencing mostly micro failures, I try to step back and keep perspective that they're not macro failures. You know? Yeah, it's hard and to like, do. It's hard to do sometimes because it can feel like such a big deal. But when you put it in perspective like that, yeah. Then and even the fact that you're calling it a micro failure, I think that's great. I hadn't really thought about micro and macro in that sense before. But you're right. Oh, I made a mistake something didn't go the way that I wanted. It's a micro failure. Mm -hmm. You don't have to turn it into a macro. Just keep it in its place, keep perspective, put it into context, and just keep going. I love that. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. What about, tell me more about um, what role failure has played in your life. I know that you were an athlete before. Is that correct? I was an athlete. I, I played soccer in high school and it was like my thing. I was, I was good at it. I, I really enjoyed it. And I got hurt um, my sophomore year and I, I tried to come back and it, it effectively it just, it, it wasn't working. Um, and I ended my soccer career at that point. And it was like, okay, well now, now who am I going to be? Like, what am I going to do with my time and who, how, what am I going to get excited about? You know, again, it was just where I had, who I was at the time. It was how I identified myself. And when I lost that and, and had to kind of reimagine who I was, it was a really fun exercise of like, you know, being able to recognize your own multidimensionality and how like, you know, and I found all of these other things that I like to do um, because I had this new time and I was still obviously very energetic um, and like willing to kind of dive into something new, even if I wasn't going to be good at it. Um, And sometimes I think like it's when we're pushed out of our comfort zones in those ways to like make that change where you kind of discover this whole new aspect of yourself and what you can be and who you can be with. And, and, and that's just, that's exciting. Like that's the journey. So I have a very like, fond relationship with 
failings because in so many instances, I, I would say in almost all of them, they have made me a better person. They have made me more self-aware. They've made me more empathetic. It's made me think in a different way. It pushes me to act differently. Um, and and I love that. Like, I feel like it's just, it's like failings are just the, the path to self-discovery. And um, I'm all about that. So, so yeah, so I mean, I could like, so soccer, that this, the end of my soccer career was the beginning. I ended up being the uh, student director of the fall play. And I had never really been in the theater world. My sister, um, my sister was really good at singing and acting. And, and so I kind of did that. I, I like was the director of the student play and it was great. Like I met all these new people and learned this whole thing. And, and I think, you know, kind of going forward, I, I always look back at that moment of like when I thought I had lost everything because I wasn't going to be able to play soccer anymore. And, you know, what it transformed into was just an opportunity to do other things um, and learn more about, you know, what, what I could do and, and where, you know, where I, who I could become. And I try to think about that all the time when I, when I hit endings, when I hit these just endings. And that's what I feel like they are. It's just a way that isn't working anymore. And it feels very natural to then just like go some, do, you know, transition into the next thing. Yeah. I love that. Failings are the path to self-discovery. It's such a, you know, failing seems so scary sometimes, right? Like again, micro failures sometimes feel like macro failures and I, you know, taught college for eight years and students are terrified of failing, you know, because what does it say about them? And so much of our identity is wrapped up in either our failures or our successes. And who does that mean that I am? We had a, another guest on the show, Chris Elmore is on, and he said, um, failure is an event, not a person, right? And not, ever, and I think a lot of people need to hear that because we think that, you know, oh, if I failed, I'm a failure, but there's really a big difference there. And so thinking about it as an opportunity for self-discovery is so healthy, right? Because it is, it's it, what looks, what may look like an endpoint is just the start of something new. So, you know, I think that that's fantastic. And you also mentioned that you have sort of a theory on two types of fears. So can you talk, can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So I think of, um, think of fear in two different ways. I think of, of one type of fear where it's that fear you, when you, that you get when you're about to do something big and you've got that, like the butterflies in your stomach and it's like, if you're standing on the edge of a cliff and you've assessed things and you know something big is about to happen. Um, and you're, and you're just kind of getting that, like the, the, excitement around like what that's going to mean and and kind of how is that going to play out um but and knowing that there's some unknowns around it but like being up for going for it and it's that it's it's so there's that fear and then there's a fear that keeps you small it's the fear that makes you care about other people's opinions um it's the fear that makes you worry that when you leave the room they're going to talk about you or that um they're going to whisper and and it's that kind of debilitating fear that I try to recognize and I don't really have anymore um, because I decide to motivate myself and push myself through the other fear. Um, and when I find myself or if I find myself kind of being guided to make a decision because I'm keeping myself small and I'm worried about what someone else is going to think or do. I gut check myself and I said, that's not, that's not how we make decisions. It's not how we live our life. Because I do. I think that people are afraid of failure because they they take too much stock in what other people think about them. 
and they put too much value in the people who who are judging them. And um, it's just a bad idea. It's just like not practical, right? When we're living our lives, like everybody, you know, is you just do your own thing and you be your own person and you be confident in that. And I think like be, I just have a lot of confidence in in who I am and knowing that like I'm the person I want to be. I'm the person I want to be to myself and I'm the person I want to be to others. And like anybody who, who, who doesn't jive with that or doesn't get that or doesn't want that, that's on them. It's not my problem. And I think, I think it's, it's, it's a lot of, it's clarity, right? It kind of gets rid of a lot of the mental clouds that can form because if you don't take the time and, and to, to really understand who you are and what you're about, you let other people decide for you. And what a, what a loss. Yeah. What a sad life. That's the kind of when you're on your deathbed, you look back and think, oh man, I should have done these things. I Mm -hmm. should have tried. I should not have let this hold me back. Yeah. The the two types of fear that you mentioned, it's, you know, one is empowering. It's that fear of uh, the butterflies, right? And I work with clients, public speaking clients who are terror. Some of them are terrified of public speaking, right? It's like the number one fear that people have. And one of the things I tell them is, you know, you can sort of reframe that as excitement, right? Anxiety and excitement feel so similar. Mm -hmm. It's like you're on that roller coaster and on the way up, you're excited. And then it just tips over one degree too much. And then you get scared. It's that one degree separation between anxiety and excitement. So, but if you can turn into it and then feel like, oh, okay, I feel a little anxious, but it's kind of exciting. This could be empowering because it means that you're doing something to to your point that makes you bigger. Yeah. Right? That that it's a, it's a big step to take. It's a big leap. As opposed to the second type of fear, right? That really feeds off your insecurity mm-hmm. and keeps you small. And you, you've said the phrase keeps me keeps me small, keeps you small several times. So, I want to talk a little bit about that cuz I think that's really important. I wrote a piece recently about in my when I work with women my coaching philosophy for them and the thing that I encourage them to do is to, it's threefold, speak up, stand your ground, take up space. So can you talk a little bit about, about why that phrase, like keep someone small, uh, sort of comes up for you? Like, what is it about that, about being small? Well, it's something that you mentioned when you, you know, when we talk about the two fears and, and you, you know, leaning in to one, to, to having that, the right fear motivate you versus letting the other fear um, keep you down is a choice, right? It becomes, your frame of mind becomes a choice. Absolutely. And if that is not the most liberating thing that you can adopt as a, as a, as a mindset, like what else is? Yeah. Right? That you can take any situation and decide how you're going to feel about it. And that's, and that's what I mean. Like, that's what I mean about, about whether you decide to stay small or or play big like it's your choice to do that um and, yeah, and, it, and it flips the victim mentality right because it's yes. like oh i can't do this because it's right. too big or it's too this or and it's like no you chose you're making a choice and even not making a choice is making a choice mm-hmm. yeah i think that that's great can you give uh, an example of a fear that you had that you had to figure out which one it was oh is this the empowering kind or is this the like insecurity kind? How can how can you tell the difference? Yeah, um, he has a great question. 
We made a pivot recently in our company where we have started working really closely with apartment communities and start, we started to build out, we're building out these on-site pet care facilities at apartments. It's a big, it's a big deal. Which is so cool. I love that idea, by the way. I think yeah. it's so cool. We didn't, we never, we haven't always done that. There was a point when it became something that all of a sudden became an opportunity. And all of the times when we have made pivots, m- me personally and professionally, there's always this like, oh, like, this is a game, like, if we're going to do this, we have to do this. And that means we need to leave behind what we were. And that's scary. Yeah, when you're s- scaling, scaling the way that you've been able to scale with apartment complexes and multiple markets, yes. that's scary. Those are big decisions to make. Launching in Austin was the same way. It was like this, am I, am I thinking through all of these things right? I, there, what, what don't I know, right? And, and it's, it's that fear of like, well, if I'm not prepared, then... I'm can't control the unknown, right? And that's ultimately what it goes back to is like being comfortable knowing that you cannot control the unknown. Um, and I would say professionally, like it's kind of become commonplace because I feel like I feel that way every day. Like I have the opportunity to to like assess and reassess the fears that motivate me because I am gut like because it's always there, because there's always a time in the day when I sometime in in the day when I do not know what I'm doing. It just every day. Amen, girl. Same. You know? Same girl. Same. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag same girl. Same. And it's great to like step back and be like, okay, that, like this is how I'm feeling. Now let's break that down. Why am I feeling that way? And 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 is it is you know is it because I don't have enough data to feel confident about the decision I'm making? Is it because I do, but I'm getting you know I'm not getting the support or, or I'm getting pushback from other people? Do I do I feel like they have value to bring to the conversation? And it just becomes like a, the why why why. And so it's never the surface level questions. It's always the like six questions in that that really peel it back for me, and then I can like more or less usually kind of find the clarity of like oh yeah this is. This is the kind of fear that that just means that I'm just like excited and I'm like you know gonna gonna push forward, but I'm nervous because I've never done it and there's that feeling. Versus, you know what? This is because this is because of something where I'm not being my best self right now. I'm not I'm not like really playing into my space or or I'm letting insecurities kind of kind of govern this conversation. Like we need to remove those and then see what's left. And then usually it can kind of like I can kind of work it out. It also requires rising to the occasion. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think 10-year-old Maggie would say about what you're doing now? Oh, she would love it. I wanted to be a veterinarian for a while. Um, and, and then, you know, my life parlayed into a bunch of different directions. But, I mean, getting to do this every day is just the joy of my life. I work with an incredible team. I love what I get to do. Um, I get to spend I get to spend a lot of time with animals, um, thinking about animals at least. And I, I feel like we are making a meaningful difference in the lives of pet owners. And it, I just, I, that's what it's all about, right? It, for me, um, I could not be in, in a time and in a place, um, that I am more proud to, to say that I get to do this every day. Well, I bet your dog Stinson and Kumbu are very proud of you. Thank you. I hope so too. <laughs> and my dog says hi. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate you taking the time out for doing this. You can follow Meggie on Instagram at Queen City Queen. You can learn more about Skipper by visiting walkskipper.com. On Instagram, they're at Skipper. Facebook, at Skipper. Twitter, at walkskipper. Our website is funwithfailure.com. You can follow us on Twitter at funfailpodcast. 
And don't forget to say hi. Our email address is fun at funwithfailure.com. Thanks for listening. And until next time, go have some fun.